Hello, Her Historians. I'm your host, Heather Ashley, and welcome to another episode of Women of Her Story, a podcast dedicated to celebrating women who have made or are making their mark on our society. Lurking around the podcast today is everyone's favorite Muppet, Beaker. Boop, 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 boop. <laughs> meet, <Boo>. meet. <laughs> meet, meet. Hello. How are you? <laughs> I'm good. Just I'm... lurking over here. Uh, yeah, you know, I felt like that was just pretty descriptive. Yeah, well, you know, that's what I'm doing, just being all Muppety <laughs> with my um, sewn on eyes. Yeah, doing Muppet stuff. Yeah, bro. you know, <laughs> casual. How are you, dude? How are you today? I'm good. Um, guys, if we sound a little different today, that would be because we've just moved and don't have our equipment set up how we'd like to. Uh, just quite yet, so bear with us. Hopefully by the next episode we'll have um, all our stuff set up so that we can give you that excellent quality you're so used to. Meep. <laughs> Meep. Meep. So today's Her Story lesson is about Patsy Takamoto Mink, the first woman of color elected to the U.S. House of Representatives, the first Asian American woman to serve in Congress, and was the first Asian American to run for the United States president. Whoa. Okay. Yeah. I'm excited. Let's get into it. Quote, what you endure is who you are, and if you just accept and do nothing, then life goes on. But if you see it as a way for change, life doesn't have to be so unfair. It can be better. Maybe not for me, I can't change the past, but I can certainly help somebody else in the future so they don't have to go through what I did. Mm. That's a great way to start that. Mm-hmm. That's, she sounds like a, um, she sounds like a, um, some, a door opener, not yeah. a door closer. Mm-hmm. Patsy Takimoto was born on December 6th 1927 in Pai, Hawaii. She was one of two children from Sumatsu Takimoto. He was a civil engineer. Mm. Her mother, Mitama Tateyama. When Patsy was a junior at Maui High School, she got her first taste of what political office can be like. Wow. When I... she was... <laughs> yeah, I know, High right? School. She won uh, her first election as class president. <laughs> she was like, yeah, no, this is... This, this is, is my it thing. for me. Yeah, this is this my is lane. Good. Mm-hmm. This is good. She graduated from high school as valedictorian in 1944. That's so impressive. She was valedictorian, though. Um, yeah, she's awesome. I mean, Genius, I guess she was very school driven. Like, so smart. you know, uh, she knew that that was like you know the that trajectory wanted to be, she wanted yeah, to mm-hmm, take mm-hmm. her path. After high school, she attended both Wilson College in Pennsylvania and the University of Nebraska. She transferred out, however, after facing racial discrimination. Students of color were not allowed to live in the same dorms as white students. As white students. Awful. I know. Unfortunately, around this time, she was also diagnosed with a thyroid condition that oh. required surgery. Oh, no. I know. Well, the surgery went fine, and Patsy made the decision to move to Honolulu and finish school at the University of Hawaii. She initially wanted to be a doctor and had been elected the president of the Pre-Medicine Students Club. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah. She also happened to be a member of the varsity debate team. Patsy graduated in 1948 with majors in zoology and chemistry. I also want to note that 
even with transferring to three different universities and having a major surgery, she graduated on time. I like, Still? I like that she did zoology, <laughs> criminology. No, chemistry. I mean, uh, zoology, chemistry, and then was, like, doing debate stuff before. Yeah. Like, she had, like, a wide array. She cast she her had, wide. Yeah, yeah she mm-hmm. had a lot of eggs in baskets. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's a good Easter thing. Happy Easter, y'all. <laughs> that passed. <laughs> for next year for next year yeah i'm put getting it in your pocket <laughs> put, it, put that put that egg in your basket for next year oh my god because it's done like this joke <laughs> she applied to numerous medical schools but was never accepted so she applied to law school instead because you know she was accepted <laughs> at the <laughs> she was accepted at the university of chicago law school wow i know wow University uh, Law School in Chicago. Yeah. It was here at the University of Chicago that Patsy met one John Mink while playing the card game Bridge at the International House. I wanted it to be the International House of Pancakes. It wasn't. Um, I, I, ho- I hope he had an accent and was just like, hey, Patsy, nice to meet you. I'm John Mink. I'm John. John Mink. My name's Mink. It's, it's Mink. John Mink. <laughs> the two were married and... Pretty quickly, and then they stayed in Chicago. Patsy graduated from law school in 1951, but decided to keep her job at the University of Chicago Law School Library. I'm sure she was much colder in Chicago um, than Hawaii. <laughs> having gone to school, she was like, I'm going to do zoology in Hawaii. And then she's like, all right, now I'm well, going to Chicago. Well, she grew up in Hawaii. No, I know. Yeah. <laughs> that you must, you must be someone that, like... Um, she is adaptable to the weather, so, right? Because oh, yeah. I feel like I complain about New York City's weather every season. Like, it's just, it, like, perplexes me as if I haven't experienced a season before. Well, it's funny you say that, because the following year, after giving birth to their daughter, Gwendolyn, they moved to Hawaii. That's a nice name. <laughs> I know, I love it. Gwendolyn, by the way, grew up to be an author and an advocate for um, women's rights. Mm, following in her mom's footsteps. Yeah. While the family was in Hawaii, Patsy registered for the bar exam in order to practice law in the region. Even after she passed, she was unable to find a job with the firm. She was in an interracial marriage, which was Ew. frowned upon. Yeah, it's so like it's so gross that they like. I know that they cared enough. Yeah. It's like you yeah. mean my marriage, like my personal this life matters to do with my that skill much set. to you. And they're like, nope, you chose. Yeah, it's like that's mean. Yeah. So, as you do, she started her own practice and then founded the Oahu Young Democrats in 1954. Oh, she's great. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. She was the first Japanese-American woman to practice law in her home state of Hawaii. She said, no one's opening a door. I'm going to build a door. Yeah, she said, I'm going to build a whole house. I'm going to need a hammer and nails, though. <laughs> During this time, she worked as a private attorney for the House of Representatives in the territory. So she was super qualified. Everybody liked her, but no you know, no firms like wanted go to on be record like, yeah, being crazy. Like, we rock with you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's so mean. I know. When Hawaii became an official state in 1959, she knew in her heart that she was going to be running for a position in government. What a ridiculous thought process. That was like a little over 60 years ago. Yeah, that wasn't that long ago. Like, that's ridiculous. My dad is about as old <laughs> as Hawaii is I'm a pretty US sure my, state. I'm pretty sure my dad was born... Oh, 
right before. Right, yeah, yeah. Right yeah. before like, it became yeah, a state. Yeah, My dad's been alive longer yeah, like than... almost. Like, yeah, same. <laughs> <laughs> To kick, to kick off her political career, she started a campaign to be elected as a congresswoman with a failed first attempt. She returned in full force to politics in 1962 when she won a seat in the Hawaii State Senate. And then she continued her campaign for a seat in the U.S. Congress, even after the Democratic Party supported another candidate. She was like, that's fine. I'm, gonna I'm do still going to do it. Yeah. <laughs> in 1964, a second position was created in the U.S. House of Representatives. With the help of her husband and a slew of unpaid volunteers, she won the second seat in the U.S. House of Representatives with a grassroots campaign. It's amazing. I know. It's like, yeah, yeah. This made her the first Asian American woman to serve in Congress. What a beautiful thing. Yeah, and, and she's a great person for it to have been. Yeah. yeah. In 1967, she put a great amount of efforts into passing a bill to institute a daycare system to support low-income households. It was called the Comprehensive Child Development Act, and it folded into the Economic Opportunity Act. Now, unfortunately, it failed to become law. Oh. Uh, the opponents objected, saying that it offered too many incentives for mothers to work outside the home and claimed it promoted a, quote, communal approach to rearing children, which is how we should raise children anyway. Takes a village. Takes a lot of people. Um, also, like, what your t- incentives to work outside the home. You mean to help the economy thrive no but listen think about it if if they if they're not there at, in the work in the workplace how are companies going to overregulate their employees and and look over their shoulders in a very uncomfortable way you know what i mean i'm being absolutely facetious it's okay. absurd i don't understand yeah. there's no reason Crazy. why that they're has like, to happen the whole thing was basically it was to help like you know single family like single parent homes to get them like accessible daycare because it's so expensive so that they can like fully get back into the workforce and they're like no no this encourage you how can we regulate you if you're not here Yeah, like, and yeah, they're like, okay, we can't regulate you. You're going to yeah, take your own time to, like, yeah. what, use the bathroom? And no, you might take advantage of that. And it's like, I'm just having a kid. I'm not going away. I'm yeah. not on vacation. Yeah. This, this is a child. Yeah. The Economic Opportunity Act passed through both houses of Congress, and then President Richard M. Nixon vetoed it in December of 1971. Yeah. Later, she said it was, quote, one of the real disappointments of her political career. Because it's so, it's so obvious. Like, it's something that it should be, yeah, we should provide daycare for women so that they can leave the house and be in the workforce. And they're like, no, no, keep them at home in the house. We can, we know where they are there. Sounds like that decision was made by a man. Oh, yeah. Or by men. Nixon. Mm-hmm. A congress... No <laughs> As a congresswoman, she fought for gender and racial equality affordable childcare, bilingual education, and became a major supporter of Title IX. Title IX, which she was one of the authors and sponsors of, was intended to be part of the Education Amendments of 1972. Title IX states, quote, 
No person in the United States shall, on the basis of sex, be excluded from participation in, be denied the benefits of, or be subjected to discrimination under any education program or activity receiving federal financial assistance. Which, that's, yeah, that's, seems that's, about, seems right. Yes, that, yeah, absolutely, yeah. that checks out. So it goes through, and when the program begins to take effect, supporters of men's sports programs objected, saying that they thought that their funding was being cut in favor of women's sports in the new statute. Which so is not because it. <laughs> other people, because funding is being given to not just you anymore. It means that, oh, okay, should, I have flames on the side of my face. They're like, what about our rights? Yeah. They're like, all men, all men matter. Yeah. It's like, wait, <laughs> chill. Those opponents filed an amendment in 1975 for, um, for appropriations for the bill for the Department of Health, Education, and Welfare to exempt athletics from Title IX, which is like basically the whole point of Title IX. The amendment survived the House version of the bill, which is... That's but gross. the Senate struck down the amendment in conference, forcing the House to face a tight vote on whether it stands its position. I'm genuinely surprised. So just as voting was to commence, Mink received an emergency call informing her that her daughter was in a life-threatening car accident in upstate New York. So she obviously just, like, bounces. Had She's like, I gotta yeah, go. That's... Newspapers began to characterize her sudden emotional exit as a result of the vote. Oh. And thankfully, her allies leapt to her defense. Speaker Carl Albert of Oklahoma and Representative Daniel John Floyd of Pennsylvania explained the true circumstances of her absence that at the like the very, very next day of, of legislature. And then the House did end up voting to, quote, recede and concur with the Senate with Mink there. So Gwendolyn survived. So did Title IX. Oh my goodness. And decades later, after Mink passed, Representative Maxine Water paid tribute to mm. her at a congressional memorial, saying this of a time that they had recently spent together at a WNBA game. Quote, As I looked at all of those strong, tall women out there playing, I thought it was a short little woman that caused this tall, big woman to be able to realize her dreams. That's beautiful. I love that. I love that. I love that That's she, so great. I like that, Maxine Waters. And yeah, then also just that thought that is so also funny. Also that they were at a WNBA game together. If you see pictures of Patsy Mink, she's just the tiniest, cutest little thing in the world. And I just, I'm picturing them at a WNBA game. And, and for a girl tall who... Tall athletes are just towering over them. And not of. just that, but like truly the fact that like for her, right, as we've discussed, sports were never a big thing of her upbringing. Right. That just, she wasn't a sporty gal. Totally fine. and But she saw the importance of making sure that avenue was also open, mm -hmm. even though it wasn't, like, for her, she was more on the, like, strictly intellectual side of things. So she was like, it's not just about, like, educational rights. It's about, like, the right to play. Mm -hmm. Literally the right to play. Women's rights. Women's rights. Just, I know. Like, it's human so rights. Oh. While she was working in Washington, D.C., she traveled back to Hawaii every other 
week to ensure she stayed connected to issues and concerns of the Hawaiian people. Goodness. From Texas, that's like a six and a half hour flight with a connector. Mm, They're coming from DC. DC. So you know she's doing like New York to LA. LA to Honolulu. Uh, Unless they're flying like the other way around. I don't know. It's a lot. It's tiresome. (laughs) I'm tired thinking about it. She served on numerous committees while in Congress. The Committee on Education and Labor, Committee on Interior and Insular Affairs, and the Budget Committee. Through these committees, she was able to voice the concerns of groups that were otherwise continually discriminated against. In 1974, she was able to pass the Women's Educational Equity Act, and it was a part of the Comprehensive Education Bill. I'm glad that she was able to get that Mm -hmm. passed as a part of that bill. Mm -hmm. It was $30 million a year in educational funds for programs to promote gender, uh, gender equality in schools, to increase educational and job opportunities for women, and to excise gender stereotypes from textbooks and school curricula, because you know they were That's not a single brilliant. picture of a doctor was a, a woman That's in those brilliant. Yeah, <laughs> or I would say some really foul, like, not, yeah. n- not like, yeah, just scientifically ridiculous. proven thing. Yeah, yeah, or, yeah. or yeah. like, the yeah. really foul pictures of, like, yeah. <laughs> I can't even imagine. You name it. <laughs> yeah. Mink focused on national issues. She focused on the Asian Pacific Americans and the Pacific region. She worked to preserve the family reunification provisions in several proposed immigration reform bills. Oh, wow. Specifically, she worked with with Representative Matsunaga to educate Americans about the internment of Japanese Americans during World War II. Excellent. I know. It must have been been a particularly trying time. It must have been so, just a lot. (laughs) Post-World War II, like, man. Yeah. As a member of the Interior and Insular Affairs Committee, she supported the economic and political development of the trust territory of the Pacific Islands. Hmm. As chair of subcommittee on mines and mining, she helped to author the Surface Mining Control and Reclamation Act of 1975. Honestly, so I'm just... pretty sure she was I'm pretty sure I saw her in The Avengers. <laughs> Like I'm now that I think about it, I think that movie's like almost ten years old. But I'm pretty sure she was staying. She was like at the end. She was in the end at least. <laughs> that would I'm be cool. pretty sure. Like seventy five percent sure she was fighting with Captain America. <laughs> she that's so impressive. Oh my though. god. I'm, I mean, I'm kind of I'm genuinely surprised that she was able to get as much legislature oh passed as she so much was. But I mean, it all just make it just makes sense. It's all like. It all just whatever she passed, mm-hmm. all, all the stuff that she, all right. the legislature well, well, that, yeah, that yeah. she was able to get she passed, was, just yeah. kind of seems like second nature mm-hmm. to us now. Yeah, she helped pass a major overhaul of the Mineral Leasing Act of 1920 a year later. Now we're gonna go back in time a little bit, and during <laughs> Johnson, <laughs> during Johnson's presidency, she supported the administration's domestic programs that were part of the Great Society legislations. She was, however, a critic of America's involvement in Vietnam. Sometimes it picks up a tiny little. Um, of America's involvement in Vietnam. In September of 1967, she refused to support the president's request for a tax income increase. 
She feared that the new revenues would be used for military actions and not expansion of social programs. Quote, it was like administering aspirin to a severely ill patient who needs surgery. <laughs> like, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> That's she, she suggested that if inflation was threatening the economy, they should raise the taxes on big business and not the average working taxpayers. And then Lyndon Baines Johnson was like, whoa, 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 hold on. <laughs> hold on there. Let's dial it back five. Yeah. <laughs> In April of 1972, she co-sponsored Massachusetts Representative Michael Joseph Harrington's resolution. They called for the immediate termination of military activity in Vietnam. The House took no action on it, obviously. Mm -hmm. Her views clashed with the other three members of the Hawaii Congressional Delegation, and sometimes her constituents, as her state had a heavy military presence. Yeah. So she's right. kind of in this really weird place where she's like, you guys know that I ran on, like, anti-war, right? And now you have to know what's happening. So, quote, it was such a horrible thought to have this war that it really made no difference to me that I had a military constituency. It was a case of living up to my own views and my own conscience. If I was defeated for that, that's the way it had to be. There was no way in which I could compromise my views on how I felt about it, which I appreciate because she's not that that shows that, like, you know, she is going to do exactly what she says she's going to do. She's not yeah. going to waver. Mm -mm. Mink was asked by Oregon Democrats to run for president of the United States in 1971. She ran on an anti-war movement. Quote, my candidacy offers a real and tangible alternative based on, if any word can be singled out, humanism. That's great. She received just 2% of the vote and withdrew her candidacy. Dang. After she withdrew, however, she did continue to receive votes in Wisconsin and Maryland even after she I was ceased say, campaigning. I bet she got some. I bet she got a bunch of write-ins, mm -hmm. which is, which mm -hmm. is, you know, that's that's great to at least note for the future to be like it's not impossible for women to run. Mm -hmm. Like it just mm -hmm. seems like the numbers were stacked against her, but mm -hmm. like she, I mean, she got those votes in the states, right? Like in multiple states, right? In 1976, she passed up a bid for almost certain re-election to a seventh term in the House. See, she was seeking the Democratic nomination for a seat in the U.S. Senate. Mm. She lost to fellow House member Matsunaga. Okay. Her supporters criticized her for not running a more aggressive campaign, to which she replied that she was running for the nomination and not against Matsunaga. Yeah. She was like, I respect him. We work together. We're in this plight together. <laughs> like, yeah. what? Yeah, I'm whoever. Not, like, I still, we still have to look at each other, and I have to look at myself. Yeah, yeah. it's a win for both of them. Mm -hmm. You know, that's yeah. nice. After this unsuccessful bid, she did continue to remain in politics, just like before. She served as the president of the Americans for Democratic Action, which was a liberal political organization founded in 1947 by an array of scholars, activists, and politicians. She was the assistant secretary of state of oceans and international environmental and science affairs. Wow. That's a title. <laughs> I, I, I feel like, I, man, what, what didn't she do after, like... 
in There's her life. There's literally not a single thing because we're still going. She was elected to the Honolulu City Council and served from 1983 to 1987. And during that time, she was the chair from 1983 to 1985. <laughs> oh, wow. I'm, I'm, I'm sure she held multiple titles at the same time, mm-hmm. too. It's not like she just did one yeah. job. <laughs> she then ran unsuccessfully for governor in 1986 and then for mayor of Honolulu in 1988. Ooh, you gotta try. Quote, life is not based on being an elected politician. Politics is a constant involvement in the day-to-day working society as a whole, one part of which is government. So, you know, that when she was asked about, oh, what about all these times you were just defeated? She's like, well, yeah, but, like, life's not just about winning the election. There's other stuff I can do. But, wow, <laughs> she's really good at winning, though. She got a lot of stuff passed, and, you yeah. know, she, she, what was it, seven terms in the House? Mm, six. Six? That's impressive still. In 1990, things were about to start shifting. Hawaii Governor John Waihi III appointed Representative Daniel Kahikina Akaka to replace recently deceased Senator Matsunaga. Mm-hmm. She announced that she was going to be seeking the Democratic nominations for special election to fill the vacancy created by Akaka from the House and the November general election for the new term in the 102nd Congress. She was not the party's choice for either. Oh. <laughs> they backed Mufi Hannerman, whose youth and business connections were appealing. Mink countered this by using the slogan, quote, the experience of a lifetime. Mm. Hawaiian voters traditionally prioritize seniority and expertise um, in their representatives. Rightfully so. Right. Mink was successfully re-elected to Congress and served six terms in the House of Representatives. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. yeah like, more. <laughs> wow. Like, wow. Yeah. In 1994, with Representative Norman Y. Mineta of California and a few others, they formed the Congressional Asian Pacific American Caucus. Quote, we have felt that we have not been consulted on important steps taken by this administration and ones in the past. The caucus welcomed representatives and senators as full members, no matter their ethnicity, as long as they represented a district with a large APA constituency, because there were so few actual APA members of Congress. There were like four. Ridiculous, I'm sure. Like maybe. (laughs) Not the right people representing. Mink pursued legislative reform in healthcare and education. She believed that the voters cared most about quality health coverage. She advocated for a universal health care plan that would allow people of all economic backgrounds to receive medical treatment. She was able to combine two of her long-standing interests when composing the Gender Equity Act of 1993. She was disturbed that 20 years after Title IX, gender discrimination persisted in the U.S., Here's my shocked face. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <She's>, <laughs> she said that targeting gender bias in elementary and secondary education would help reduce inequities between the sexes. 
Quote, we must assure that schools all across this country implement and integrate into their curriculum policies, goals, programs, activities, and initiatives to achieve educational equity for women and girls. The bare minimum. Honestly. <laughs> why does that have to be literally written into law? <laughs> In 1995, she co-chaired the Democratic Women's Caucus. Because, of course she did. I I don't know. (laughs) She's been in politics for like 50 years now at this point. Yeah, yeah. She held true to her liberal ideals for her entire political career. During her first tenure in the House, she was in the majority and party affiliation and political ideology. During her second stint, this was super not the case. Mm. During the 1990s, she opposed conservative legislation that challenged the agenda she promoted during the 60s and 70s. That's great. Quote, It is easy enough to vote right and be consistently with the majority, but it is more important to be ahead of the majority, and this means being willing to cut the first furrow in the ground and stand alone for a while if necessary. Yeah, you got to. Sometimes you got to be the first person to plant your flag. Mm Mm-hmm. She was a critic of the welfare overhaul legislation that the Republican-led Congress and the Clinton administration had agreed on in 1996. She said, quote, throwing people off well, throwing people off welfare and forcing them to take the lowest paying jobs in the community has created a misery index for millions. Jeez, absolutely. Yeah. She was the ranking member of the Education and the Workforce Subcommittee on Oversight and Investigations. She butted heads with conservative Republicans over a, propo- over a proposed $1.4 million investigation of alleged fraud in Teamsters unions. Now, she's a big supporter of, over, of, of um, organized workforces. And she accused Republican leadership of sponsoring a, quote, fishing expedition that wasted taxpayers' money for sheer partisan political purposes. Which, because the, the claims, you know, the, the alleged fraud, there was no basis right. in the claims. I, they were just hoping to hook they somebody were just, out of yeah, it. Yeah, they were just shooting in the dark. Yeah. Uh-huh. Like, that's gross. After September 11th, 2001, she raised concerns about the establishment of the Department of Homeland Security in 2000, that would be going out in 2002. She feared that the seemingly sprawling agency might undermine civil liberties of citizens by violating the privacy of American citizens in name of national security. In August of 2002, she was hospitalized for pneumonia. Oh no. And passed a month later in Honolulu, Hawaii. Her name was still on the ballot in November, and she won the election by a landslide. What? (laughs) Of course, she was replaced by her opponent, Ed Case. But um, I think it was, I think it might have been like a, she just died. She died like three weeks prior. I know. After her death, Title IX was renamed the Patsy T. Mink Equal Opportunity in Education Act. I hope they still uphold it now. Yeah. I hope they... (laughs) Yeah. The Patsy Takamoto Mink Education Foundation was established in 2003. According to their website, patsyminkfoundation.org, quote, The Patsy Takamoto Mink Education Foundation aims to carry on some of Mink's most ardent commitments, 
educational access, opportunity, and equity for low-income women, especially mothers, and educational enrichment for children. That's a beautiful thing. It's I, important mm-hmm. to be able to, uh, you know, have that organization, that institution uh, mm-hmm. to pass on to the future generations and to make sure that, you know, past generations extend that helping hand, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. whether it be through their foundation or themselves. Mm-hmm. On November 24th, 2014, Patsy Takimoto Mink was posthumously honored with the Presidential Medal of Freedom. Oh, that's beautiful. I know. I'm going to leave you guys with this quote. The problem with our education system is not that parents do not have a choice. The problem is that inequities continue to exist. Uh, that's so sad. I mean, you know, she fought for so much almost. It's like... 80 years ago, oh. you know, when oh, that she, she was like first, up, yeah. her first tenure in the house and, you know, she fought for so much, especially for women's rights. And mm-hmm. it's, it's kind of an, it's not kind of, it's just annoying that it's still like the same, uh, sh- same or, old song and dance, same that old just song kinda... and dance. And it's kind of the same people from 80 years ago also who yeah. are still gatekeeping. Yeah. Like the reason why you are not liked and the reason why you will not be looked at nicely in the history books is because you were not kind to people yeah i think yeah i think something so special about her um i love that she spoke about the fact that people i'm sure people were baiting her with questions about oh how do you feel about losing and blah 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 and she i just love that quote that was like well life isn't about being an elected official like yeah I don't need to be in charge. I can find other ways to make a difference. I can do yeah. other things, you yeah. know, and that's They're, like her whole basis. And yeah. I think that's so foreign to a lot of the people who are actually, who are currently, or maybe not currently, I think it's shifting, but yes, somewhat currently. The general theme of elected officials seems to be um, I mean, look, power. We're talking about her right now, right? Yeah. Like she's she's had such a lasting effect. Right. I I love the fact that like in in in, in another eighty years, they will not be talking kindly about a good portion of these politicians <laughs> today. I, like that that makes my heart happy. But now look, yeah. Now look, you know, yeah. with, thanks to her work, we have some progress. Yeah. Yeah. Patsy Mink, Patsy Mink. amazing. Mm-hmm. Thank you, historians, for tuning in again. I hope you guys enjoyed this one. Um. You know, always come back for more. Subscribe, yes. follow, tell the major D at mm-hmm. your favorite restaurant. Oh, please. Yeah. And tip, tip them Six well. feet apart, but... Mm, yeah. You know, yeah. Come back this Friday for an interview with Canadian wrestler Taylor Wilde. Yes. In this interview, Beaker actually joins me. Me. And we have a amazing conversation for the ages. In this interview, Taylor shares with us how she got into professional wrestling, some of the challenges she's experienced in the industry, a few crazy stories, and what it's like being a fireman, which is kind of crazy. Yeah. Talk about someone doing a bunch of stuff. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, eggs in a basket. That's a, that's a good, that's a good uh, phrase I like. Follow us on social media, TikTok at... Uh, Her Story Podcast... Instagram. Women of Her Story Podcast. Twitter. Of her, uh, the Her Story Pod. Facebook. Women of Her Story. And visit our website at ofherstory.com backslash dominoes. <laughs> Until Friday, be safe, stay healthy, and show the world what you're made of. Wear a mask. Happy spring? 
Yeah. Okay. 